Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello there, Gigawater gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul mouth comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take that aliens did not build the pyramids, serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking, Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghosts of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't like it, them guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay in the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Dying on a Prayer. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. there's another twist in the bizarre story of a woman who was killed in Grandview in connection to an alleged religious sect. Haley Harrison tells us a local church is now identifying the victim's husband as the leader of that group. Haley? Well, that's right, Laura. Tonight in a statement, the International House of Prayer University describes that organization as operating under a veil of secrecy and with disturbing religious practices. Friday, a student here at the school came forward admitting to Bethany Deaton's death both of them members of that religious sect. On October 30th, 2012, sheriff's deputies responded to a report of a dead body at Longview Lake Picnic Shelter No. 12 in Kansas City, Missouri. There, they found the body of a woman in a Ford Windstar, a white plastic trash bag pulled over her head and tied around her chin. She wore running shoes, sweatpants, a fleece, and a diamond wedding ring. 
The woman was Bethany Deaton, and she was married to Tyler Deaton, a controversial and charismatic fringe leader affiliated with the International House of Prayer, or IHOP. So I'm going to call it IHOP. It has no affiliation with the International Pancake House. Uh, IHOP, I found out about it. I knew about it a little bit earlier, like a couple years ago, when I think there was some amendments and some new information came out, which we'll talk about later. But my boyfriend went to an IHOP convention as a teenager. He pooled all of his money together. He was like a like really big um, Pentecostal, like churchy kid. And he went to one of these. I was like, oh, did you do the 24-hour prayer room? And he did. He would go in there and pray for like hours and hours and come out. And it is, in and of itself, it's a really fascinating faction of Pentecostal Christianity. And again, I think we talk about this a lot. I don't mean to disparage religion at all. This isn't really about IHOP. It's about a fringe that comes off of a, a fringe religious organization. So again, it's like it it gets so far and beyond into, you know, kind of zealotry that it, I, again, I can't even really affiliate it with Christianity as a whole and your beliefs are your beliefs. But it kind of sets the tone for these offshoots to happen. And get your mind off pancakes right away. Right away. I'm no having difficulty doing blueberry that. blueberry syrup? But- I don't think so. Not in this story. Again, to be clear, I think it's fascinating. He has – my boyfriend has firsthand experience of it, and it's something that's so far and beyond my own experience. So let's start with the founder of IHOP. Not again. Not pancakes. At 15, a man named Mike Bickle, of course, became an evangelical Christian when his football coach paid for him to attend a Fellowship of Christian Athletes student conference in Colorado. After listening to Dallas Cowboys quarterback Roger Stobach, hope I'm saying that right, talk about his personal relationship with Jesus, Bickle decided he would be an evangelical Christian for life. Fast forward 10 years later, after jumping around several St. Louis area evangelical churches as a pastor, Bickle moved to Kansas City to start the Kansas City Fellowship and then pastored a group called the Kansas City Prophets, which was kind of an intense subgroup of Pentecostals. This group, which now Bickle denies was ever a formal group, put a lot of weight in prophecies, encounters with God, hearing the voice of God kind of making real this idea that God is speaking to you at any given time, at all times, can voice decrees, can give you commands. In fact, Bickle had been known to have several encounters with God, including hearing the audible voice of God and being taken to heaven twice. Bickle says himself, God instructed him to, quote, establish 24-hour prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle was a tent erected by King David to house the Ark of the Covenant after the conquest of Jerusalem. It was a dwelling place for God and was in the Bible like this place of ecstatic worship. So Bickle wanted to recreate that in modern times, 2010 at this point, or a little bit earlier, actually, to make that a reality. So in 1999, Bickle stopped working for his megachurch that he was the pastor of called the Metro Christian Fellowship. It had over 3,000 members. He then started the International House of Prayer, IHOP, or to be clear, IHOP KC, with only 20 followers. IHOP is, again, very intense to say the least. This is where Bickle got to live his dream by instating his 24-hour prayer room, a storefront next to the Higher Grounds Cafe and the Forerunner Bookstore in South Kansas City. The room is like the closest thing from what I've read, to like a religious drug. It is a room that when you go in, 
People are singing, they're praying, there's live music. It's never empty. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, people are in there. They're screaming, they're buzzing with euphoria. They're chanting uh, the same phrases over and over. It is mayhem. And on top of all this, there's a live broadcast from it onto something called God TV, which again, documented all of this, projected it to, if you wanted to be there remotely, you could. This epicenter of this, like, insane, concentrated worship. The staff and students were required to spend at least 25 hours a week in the prayer room, and they also engaged in weekly fasts of a day or more. The focused worship, Bickle says, affects real-world events by weakening the demons and strengthening the angels that swirl among us. And this is really the culture of IHOP. It's a battlefield and IHoppers are battling evil and bringing Christ back to earth. Bickle claims that he visited heaven one night at 2.16 a.m. and the Lord changed him with preparing for an end times ministry and seating him in a golden chariot that lifted him off into heaven. At IHOP, prophetic experiences are part of the culture and the clash between the mor- mortal and divine and bad and good, like always happening. So that is the culture. Then we get Tyler Deaton. On July 20th, 2007, Deaton says that God commanded him to form a worship group while he was standing outside of Barnes & Noble waiting for the midnight release of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Deaton was raised in Corpus Christi, Texas, a very devout Presbyterian community. He was a champion debater who willfully practiced magic in junior high, according to a college friend. He was also always sure his opinions were completely 100% right especially when it comes to religion and philosophy. The caption that was on his senior portrait from his high school said, quote, be intolerant because some things are just stupid. So that's his MO to begin with as a young college student. As a junior at Southwestern University, he was again fully committed to Christ. Deaton was like really handsome, kind of boyish. He kind of looks like who's in Twilight, the wolf, the guy who plays the werewolf in Twilight. Actually, I was just looking him up to see what he was up to lately. I forget <laughs> his name, though. Um, you, If you're listening, you will know it. He looks a lot like that guy. But he was also, according to others, very effeminate. Deaton, almost as much as he loved God, he loved fantasy. He loved Chronicles of Narnia. He loved The Lord of the Rings. But he particularly loved the Harry Potter series, which he called the greatest story ever written. Huh? Next to the Bible? Okay. You can see how like the dichotomies of good and evil, all of that IHOP stuff really was already in this guy's DNA. Dean was also gay, or in Christian speak, stricken with homosexual impulses that vexed his faith. The, I just know that sociologically, there's a connection between this power-obsessed, dark magician, evil dictator thing, and altered sexuality, Deaton told his friends. He was determined to overcome these, quote, evil urges with the help, of course, of Christ. In the summer of 2007, Deaton traveled to Pakistan as a missionary, where he had a number of supernatural experiences. He saw a boy with one leg miraculously acquiring another leg. During a visit to a children's home, he heard the words, the leader of this place is committing sexual sin with young boys. Deaton informed the trip's leaders and learned that two boys had been caught performing sexual acts with one another. They and the home's leader were removed. An obsession with homosexuality and discovering homosexual acts, as you might imagine, were at the top of Deaton's oppressed priority list. So back in line at the Barnes & Noble, God told Deaton, what you did in Pakistan, you're going to do at Southwestern. The names of three friends erupted from Deaton's mouth, June, Justin, and Bethany Lideline. In Deaton's vision, 
their collective worship would shift the spiritual atmosphere on campus and create a religious revolution. Like Deaton, June, Justin, and Bethany were also incredibly, incredibly devout Christians and incredibly devout Harry Potter fans. The group began comparing themselves to the four children in the Chronicles of Narnia as well, four siblings entering a new world through a wardrobe and combating evil forces. They loved fantasy and that colored the way they talked about Christianity. Bethany Lideline, one of the names mentioned by Tyler, was a small, shy woman and was honestly like a pretty unlikely follower of Deaton. At least that's what everyone in her childhood and high school would say. She graduated Valley Victorian for class, and she'd read every Charles Dickens novel but one by the time she was 13. I couldn't find which one she didn't read, but I don't know. As a completionist, that bothers me. She was also a talented writer herself. She was the pride of Southwestern's writing center. She started keeping a blog at the end of 2003 and produced almost 200 pages of pretty perceptive confessional content. According to Rolling Stone, Bethany wrote in her blog, Oh, liberal arts, it's training me to be a splendid gentleman farmer. One evening, she stayed in the writing center after everyone else left, trying to cup the moment in my hands. I must often consciously uncrease my forehead, unfurl my eyebrows, and walk a bit more slowly, remembering that tomorrow will take care of itself. So she was this young writer who also had this very romantic bend to her. She imagined herself as a novelist and a professor at a small university living in a cottage in the woods. She really wanted to be married, too. According to Rolling Stone, she had been praying for her husband since she was a teenager. She had written him letters before they even met. She found herself fiercely attracted to Deaton and was convinced that God wanted them to be married. She was aware of his struggles with homosexuality, but believed that God would use her to heal his heart. Difficult. Complicated. In December 2007, at an urging of a cousin, Tyler Deaton attended an IHOP conference in Kansas City. This changed everything. He wrote to his workshop group after, and again, this is the small prayer group that he had a vision about. He said, friends, I kid you not when I say that I feel God has transformed me more in this short period of time than I have ever so far in my life. I have one word attached to one phrase that God has violently poured into my heart. It is echoing in the heavens right this instant. And I mean that literally that word, that phrase is revival through prayer and worship. Friends, I freaking cannot wait to tell you in person. Within the month, everyone in the group had become a hardcore eye-hopper. Deaton also became even more their leader. He told his worship group that he had been divinely ordered to, to train God's final army and realized that he had an authority to call down God's judgment upon those who opposed him. Before Deaton's trip to Kansas City, Bethany hit it off with a fellow English student whose name was Micah Moore that she brought into the group. Earlier in the semester, Moore had dropped acid, and then the trip had made him question the nature of everything, and the idea of good and evil was not a stranger to his mentality. It made him super questioning and curious and honestly suggestible to the tenants of IHOP and Tyler. Quote, Moore put his faith in Deaton completely. He had a special gift, Moore would say. When Deaton laid his hands on him, Moore felt a special grace. Others joined similarly, sensing a quality of leadership in Deaton that they needed, and more importantly, no one really challenged him. He could kind of say and do whatever he wanted. Nearly everyone in the group, according to former members, believed that he was the end times apostle. By spring of 2008, when the group had grown to about 20, it was assumed that Deaton heard God all the time and was the key to everybody's salvation. But also, God spoke to Deaton a, a ton and with things that were like really small, almost like micromanaging. Once when they were eating at a Panda Express, Deaton sensed a soul-endangering spot of darkness on their side of the restaurant 
and so they switched tables. By the end of fall 2008, Deaton was beginning his final semester, and everyone was having visions and prophecies just like him. There's also this idea in IHOP of having sex with God, like kind of like Catholicism ingesting the body of Christ. It's the idea that Christ is the bridegroom and the worshiper is the bride. And it feels, when I've read about it, like very kind of sexual, but again, sexual in that amorphous way. At Southwestern, Deaton used the same rhetoric very intensely. For most, the worship experience was, you know, like spiritual and intense in that way, but not really like sexual or sensual. Deaton, though, was really into the bridegroom stuff and pressed people to enter a prayerful state and cuddle with Jesus. His words, not mine. But anything beyond holding hands with real people was not cool, at least outwardly. Marriage prophecies determined dating partners. And again, this is Deaton's marriage prophecies. According to members, these prophecies were discouraged by IHOP, but they cropped up all the time, not only in Deaton, but also with everyone all the time. Everyone was having prophecies all of the time. The recipient of a marriage prophecy would typically conceal it from the object while sharing it with Deaton and several others, and they would all pray on it. Deaton seldom matched people romantically interested in one another. It was more often that he would say, God told me that you two are destined for marriage to people that were totally unsuited, unattracted to each other. It was like a strange puppeteering and manipulation that he had. At this point, he involved himself in nearly every relationship in the group, arrangements, and breakups. He might find two people he'd match spiritually unready and then just break them up. Quote, you are idolizing your future spouse and putting him before God, he might say. Sometimes people were ordered to avoid one another completely. Flirting might be punished by a ban on all contact with the opposite sex for a week or more. Bethany had one of the first marriage prophecies about her and Deaton, of course. He was not happy about it. It'll never happen, he told a friend, although he was unwilling to denounce it outright. When a woman like Tyler, he found out about it, he'd give her kind of a cold shoulder. He was not interested in prophecies that had to do with him. He just liked to be in control. This happened to Bethany, and she, again, was heartbroken. She began thinking about attending nursing school after graduation instead of following Deaton to IHOP, which was her original plan. Meanwhile, Deaton was busy ministering other gay Christian men in the group, but also was very into just heterosexual male-on-male contact, very into promoting that. Deaton urged very long, affectionate contact between men because he said they had wrongfully been socialized to resist that kind of thing. He said men should hug, cuddle, give one another massages. If you were uncomfortable with loving touch, you had a, quote, wall in your heart and were only experiencing part of God's love. This troubled members, but they accepted that maybe, like, this was getting out of your comfort zone. This was spiritual growth. These were innocent activities for most of the men involved, including one of the original members, Justin, who Deaton was really into, according to an ex-member. Eventually, Justin, who was heterosexual, got uncomfortable with Deaton's constant cuddling. Deaton himself did not formally date, a sign of his commitment to God. Until a day in 2008 where Deaton played Bethany a song from High School Musical 3 called I Want It All, and not familiar with this song. And then he asked, imagine having everything we ever dreamed. Don't you want it? A few weeks later, unable to reconcile her feelings, Bethany sat him down and again explained her prophecy. He, for some reason, in that moment, warmed to her and they became close again, and she decided to go back to the original plan and follow him to IHOP after college. In early 2009, Deaton and Bethany moved to Grandview, Missouri to begin IHOP's six-month One Thing internship program. 
Over the next two years, most of the other group members would graduate and join Deaton and Bethany in Grandview. From 8 to 4 p.m., from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., Deaton and Bethany absorbed theology, studied, etc. And from 6 p.m. until midnight, they worshipped in the 24-hour prayer room. Then Deaton had a revelation. Being gay was a choice he made, and he decided to unchoose it. A few weeks later, Deaton was sitting in the prayer room watching Bethany worship. He says, quote, a giant vat of affection rushed over him. I was experiencing real, passionate, sexual, knock-me-off-my-feet, pure and glorious attractions for the most beautiful woman alive. When they completed their internships, Deaton asked Bethany out. In the summer of 2009, he took her for a walk and announced that he intended to pursue her unto marriage. And we're going to break there. Just process all of that. Today's episode is sponsored by Best Fiends. Though we love what we do, Jason and I don't just Google true crime and weird history all day. Sometimes we need a freaking break. That's when I close my computer and pick up my phone for a little Best Fiends. Have you heard of it? You should because it's gotten over 100 million global downloads. We're huge fans of it and you should be too. Best Fiends challenges your brain with fun puzzle levels, but it's not like this huge thing. It's casual. You can play one level or 17, whatever time allows for. There are enough stresses in our life right now. Don't let a game stress you out. Best Fiends is also a game anyone can play, literally. It is for adults, but honestly, anyone can and enjoy themselves. Let me break it down. Best Fiends is an awesome mobile puzzle game and honestly different from anything I've ever played. It engages my brain, it's fun, and is whatever type of commitment you want. It's solo maintenance, you don't even need the internet. The internet! Speaking of internet, I was playing Best Fiends just to chill one day. I'm close to level 200 and my power went out. And honestly, I did not even notice. I played and like relaxed and I was off the grid and it was so fantastic. I only noticed I had no power or internet when it came back on and I had to get back to whatever I was doing at the time. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello, how are you? Hello. How's it going? Whew, I'm winded. I'm winded from what we've just experienced. I've been in an IHOP wormhole, but now I'm out, and I want to know how you are. I have a prophecy. What? I <laughs> prophesize a Patreon <laughs> that's called patreon.com oh, yeah? slash ghost town pod. Oh, Bonus episodes, Great. advanced episodes, <laughs> documentary episodes, uh-huh. and really, I mean, if if you're not into hearing ads or us talking like this, mm-hmm. the Patreon is for you because it cuts all of this out. Some people like it. 
Some people like it. And you can still subscribe to Patreon if you like it and not listen to the Patreon version and listen to the regular free version. That's an option. Gotten some interesting feedback. <laughs> it's 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 really strange. You know, it's been two and a half years since we've done this. Damn. You know, this we have a, had a record year as far as listens or downloads. It's pretty been, exciting. It's been pretty great. And and we're very thankful to anyone who's listening or supportive or, mm-hmm. you know, just shared this or mentioned it, whether you're a Patreon supporter or just someone who listened. We we appreciate it all. And you will get some nice messages like, hey, you know, they love what we're doing. It's And then it switches gears where it's like, why are you so politically correct? Okay. And I, I, I don't know. I, all these things I don't really see about us ever being too one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, you. I think you all probably know where we stand. We don't um, need to lean into that. But I mean, also, that's not why you're listening. No. I mean, you know, I talk about it all day. If you want to DM me, I'm happy to talk politically, I guess. But that's not the. That's not what we do here today. I mean, I, I think just we're generally, generally just polite. I don't know. Maybe just like kind of regular. Yeah. I don't know what to call it, we're but regular. I thought it was strange. I thought it was like a strange <laughs> thing where I was like, I don't really see as the us the purpose of this but they start out really complimentary and then it ended up saying you know you don't have to remind people how politically correct you are and i was like i don't ever remembered yeah. doing that i mean half the things i don't remember to begin with so sure yeah and sure the, and the people that say you know we're not politically correct enough in the, the way we have approached things or the way we've mentioned things and it's re- honestly mm-hmm. it's hard to please everyone i'm sure that goes for any criticism of anything, and I probably had similar ones mm-hmm. for other people, so I don't really blame them. And then somebody else, I'm not going to get into who it was, they said, who who do these nobodies think they are? They think they're celebrities. And I was like, I've never, <laughs> ever thought that hot. If somebody says my first, middle, last name, social security <laughs> number, I still don't think they're talking to me. I just assume they're talking to somebody else. That's how little I think about uh-huh. my place in the world and I've never ever thought of myself as a celebrity. Like I had to Google them to find them, and I was like, "We're just doing a. Po- it doesn't require mm-hmm. a pocket. We're just talking about a mm-hmm. thing." I, I mean, I'm a fucking star. So yeah, I mean, you have star take power it or leave it exactly. You, you, know I mean? you have star, exactly. You have the it factor. Yes, I got <laughs> look at me, look at me. And I just didn't. I don't know. It's just it's hard to kind of reconcile all those things. I guess it's maybe the way people. Some people just want something to complain about and most of the time it's pretty valid even if i'm like oh, i don't necessarily agree with you but i was like i see where you're coming from yeah well Not i wrong. mean i have podcasts that i listen to where i'm like something irks me about it and it's like kind of arbitrary or something where it's like that person sounds like this person that i hated in high school or some you know there's such arbitrary relationships that you have with podcasts and the people who run it and i'm sure you know how many people hate my voice a lot you know we've heard it <laughs> Eight thousand three hundred and twelve. <laughs> I've been go. keeping count, just in case you ask me. At, at Perfect. The, at the end, at the end of all this, uh, but we're, yeah, we're just checking in. We want to say hello to mm-hmm. our government. Of course, our government never shuts down. They never stop. Never. You think they stop? They don't. Brandon Gaddis, Jeanette Link, Ashley Matson, Ben mm-hmm. Forsyth, Mayor Chris Tuffer Witt, uh, the eighth. Okay. I'm going to have to look up his genealogical chart. It goes way back. Verify it, it, it goes way, goes way back. back. Okay. I want to say hi to all them and, and just, you know, hope you're all doing well and, you know, we're ending this year. Yeah. Ending it weak, petering out. Yeah, just kind of, just kind of, yeah. Well, and what, what do you expect? Anything else? I don't yeah, think so. No. 
Although I will say that I had a really nice talk. I guessed it on the podcast. What's your struggle? It was really, it's a mental health podcast. Look it up. I'll let you guys know when it's out. Great conversation with, yeah, we talked a lot about conspiracies and, you know, kind of the grain behind the mental health issues behind conspiracy theorists and cults and QAnon. And it's a, it was a very interesting conversation. I enjoyed myself. Yeah, but I have a YouTube video I can show you, Rebecca. Uh-oh. Forget about everything you know. I have a YouTube video I can show you. <laughs> you can show me a YouTube video. I okay. love the movie The Joker. <laughs> well, that checks I out. I do, actually. I mean, yeah, I, do like, I love The Joker. It's a good movie. I think that's just one of those movies that I when somebody is being fringe, mm-hmm. I don't know, so they just like the- Yeah, it's the, true. It's like it's like a white guy. It's like a real like white guy called arms where you're like, yeah. you think I'm not interesting? Well, I liked The Joker and yeah. I have things to say about it. Come sit on my futon and let, let's discuss it over a warm, oh, let me move, blue ribbon. Let me move this copy of Infinite Jest. <laughs> yeah, quickly. <laughs> my Scarface poster. They don't have to be in college. They can be anywhere, really. I mean, COVID times, who knows? They're probably in their parents' home. Or you're just uh, Zooming with them over a internet date happy hour. Oh, my God. I'm nice depressing hot myself. Zoom. I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. But yeah, I, we've gotten some really nice messages, I would say. Yeah, so thank you for the nice reviews. And if you want to go to sure. Apple Podcasts and give us a, a nice review or any, we'll, we'll, we'll It's the greatest it. Christmas miracle of all. A nice review. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. I'm with that. Jeez. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Speaking of miracles, <laughs> do you want to get back to Kansas City? Yeah. Circa 2008? Because now I'm thinking of Panda Express now that you brought that up. So that's replaced. <laughs> Multiple references to Panda Express. Every time we do a podcast, I'm usually hungry. Should we and- get Panda Express? So we're back. We're in Grandview. It's outside of Kansas City. The men and women of this prayer group are living in different houses, kind of like off-campus dorms. So there's like a, a men's house and a women's house. We've got Tyler. He has this relationship with Bethany that appears to be staged to some members of the group. Tyler and Beth- Bethany had a relationship loosely. It was characterized as they would go on a date every Tuesday between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m., and they would spend Friday evenings baking bread together. Anything more, Deaton said, would mean subordinating the needs of the group to their own needs. He discouraged Bethany from physical displays of affection. There was none of that. They wouldn't even kiss until their engagement two and a half years later. About a year after they began formally dating, Deaton and other members took turns describing their visions of the future. When it was Bethany's turn, she said, sometimes all I want to do is live in a house with you, talking to Tyler, and have a baby and maybe some chickens. Deaton called her selfish in front of everyone and told her to stop elevating her own desires over those of the community. I'm sorry for being selfish and idolizing Tyler. She responded to the prayer group. Deaton exerted control in every way in this post-collegiate phase of their organization. In early 2010, Deaton told the members of the inner circle that God wanted him to quit working as a part-time math tutor and devote himself completely to his ministry. The group supported themselves in Deaton by delivering pizzas, selling makeup and paint. Bethany entered an accelerated nursing program in 2011, but she and everyone else spent much of their time in the prayer room, worshiping at home or with Deaton or studying the Bible and the IHOP doctrine. Once a week, the men and women held accountability meetings in their houses, reviewing the dynamics in the group and searching out, you know, points of sin, things that they should change to be holier. When men shared feelings of desire towards the women, Deaton might embarrass them by informing the women that they were talking about. Even as Deaton strategically strained relationships, he condemned non-communal activities as unrelational. 
Word of Deaton reached IHOP's leaders in May 2011, and they were not happy about it. They essentially excommunicated Deaton and his extended prayer group from IHOP. That summer, conveniently, Deaton began preparing the group for end times. They stockpiled a month's supply of food in the women's house and met twice a week with a guy who was a former soldier, I guess, to practice dodging imaginary bullets, wrestling weapons from enemy soldiers, and executing combat drills. Towards the end of the summer, in anticipation of Micah Moore's arrival, Bethany's friend from college, Deaton changed the room assignments in the men's house. A group member named Evan, whom Deaton had promised to liberate from a homosexual lifestyle, he would room with Micah Moore. Justin, you might remember him from the longtime crush of Tyler Deaton, would share, of course, Deaton's basement room. Rooming with Justin would allow him to experience what it's like to be intimate with a guy in preparation for being intimate with Bethany. He just said that. So now it's becoming a little bit more public. Again, what his actual nature is, he can't hide his sexuality as well as he was, I guess. Another member later told detectives that after he'd arrived in Grandview, Deaton had slipped into his room while he was in bed, lay down beside him, and held him. Another morning that summer, Deaton confessed he'd been in a spiritual wrestling match with Evan, lying together in Tyler's bed all night in a largely undressed state that resulted in, quote, massive healing for Evan and a massive breakthrough in his masculinity. Deaton's relationship with Bethany was pretty much the same, three-hour school night date and baking bread on Fridays. A year later, Micah Moore moved into the men's house in Grandview, and things got truly crazy. Deaton wholly rejected IHOP as the umbrella religious organization of the group, cast aside any and all literature around them, and what came next was a series of bizarre punishments and psychological mind games, what Deaton called behavior modification. Bethany and Tyler were married on August 2012. During the procession, Deaton sang, Come to me, my beloved. They held a worship service at the altar. Bethany seemed resolved and serene in the words of a friend. Some in attendance, though, were uneasy, spooked by Deaton's evident power over her. There were other friends of Bethany's from her essentially past life, high school, childhood that were at the wedding, and they said that they felt a deep sense that they were saying their final goodbyes to their friend. Deaton and Bethany spent most of their three-week honeymoon in Costa Rica. Deaton had surprised Bethany with a trip, which may have been the final and honestly maybe only romantic thing in the relationship. Then things got even crazier. In an email to one of her roommates, Bethany described her marriage as a difficult situation. It makes me scared, her roommate told the other women in the house. In a statement to detectives, one of Deaton's roommates said Deaton confided to the other men that he was frustrated after his recent marriage because he couldn't get an erection. Some of Bethany's roommates noticed a profound change in her as soon as she got back from her honeymoon. She was confused and uneasy. She'd moved into Deaton's basement room in the men's house. I guess Justin would, was gone now? But within two weeks began spending more nights at the women's house. Sometimes she stayed for several nights to a week. I just need space, she'd say, or I just feel too controlled. According to the group, Bethany was exhibiting inappropriate resistance to her new husband. During this time, according to statements from Deaton's roommates, he was pursuing sexual relationships with three of the men in the group. Moore recently told someone close to him that he too had been sexually involved with Deaton. On October 30th, 2012, at 9.40 p.m., sheriff's deputies found Bethany's body in that tan Ford Windstar van in the parking lot. A white plastic trash bag had been pulled over her head. 
under her chin. There was a suicide note on the center console of her car and 200 count bottles of acetaminophen PM, one unopened, the other empty. A photo ID for Bethany RN Menorah Medical Center lay on the floorboard. There were some IHOP CDs also on the seat. Bethany Deaton was 27 and had recently completed her nursing degree. Her supervisor would later describe her as an excellent, empathetic nurse. A week later, Micah Moore confessed to killing Bethany on Tyler's orders. This, again, was huge, sent the group into a tailspin, sent the town into chaos as well. Over the past few months, Moore told a detective that Bethany had been dosed with the antipsychotic Seroquel and that he and several men in the house had been sexually assaulting her. They had begun to worry that she might tell someone about it. Under questioning by detectives, two of the men in the house and one who had recently moved out revealed that they were in an ongoing sexual relationship with Tyler. At least one of these relationships was, quote, long-term. A fourth said that Tyler had groomed him to be part of his sexual group. The men said that Tyler was their spiritual leader. He was manipulative and exercised control over the members of the household. He characterized all the sexual activity as a religious experience. Two weeks after Moore confessed, his lawyer completely recanted the confession, saying it was bizarre, fictional, and made by a distraught and confused young man. According to Moore, the drugging and sexual assaults had been not long after Bethany returned from Costa Rica. He didn't implicate Deaton in the assaults, but if they did happen, multiple ex-group members say they they couldn't have occurred without his blessing. By then, Deaton could say anything, and it was holy, and it would happen. Certain details in the confession suggest that men may have understood that the assaults were religious acts, went alongside it. Some people even say it was recorded on an iPad and written about extensively within the group. Three days after Bethany's body was discovered, one of the men in the house told detectives that Deaton told him about a disturbing dream. He said he had dreamed of suffocating Bethany to death. Right away, some of Bethany's friends and family members thought that her suicide note was fabricated. She was a writer and it didn't feel written by her or seem like her. Her suicide note read, my name is Bethany Deaton. I chose this evil thing. I did it because I wouldn't be a real person. And what is the point of living if it is too late for that? I wish I had chosen differently a long time ago. I knew it all and refused to listen. Maybe Jesus will still save me. Within weeks of Moore's original confession, the group disintegrated. The men and women left their houses, went home to their families, and Bethany's family held a memorial service for her. Tyler spoke because, of course, he did. He went up to the pulpit at the service and said this. As some of you know already, I'm a man who is in love with ideas, with crazy paradigms. He laughed. And when they brought me Bethany's body, at first I cried. But then I laughed because I said to her, Bethany, if you could see you, you would not like the way you look right now. And last night we had a worship time together very briefly as a group, and it was wonderful. And it just showed me the Lord's supremacy over the wretched thing that is death, he said. And I thought to myself, what a crazy paradigm. And then I thought Bethany would have loved my paradigm because she loved me and she was so fiercely supportive and believed me hundreds of times when I thought I was crazy or heretical. He paused again for a very long time. Then he said, Bethany loved to spend time in the water. She loved small animals like birds and squirrels. Then he just sat down. In February 2013, Deaton successfully applied to teach a pre-calculus at a high school south of Dallas. He apparently threw himself into that job and all the kids liked him. But then, of course, students of his Googled him and learned about all of the events at Grandview. He was placed on leave. Uh, As of 2015, 2016, he is living in Corpus Christi with his family and in therapy to work out what he refers to as control issues. The case against Micah Moore was dismissed on October 2014, and new evidence suggests overwhelmingly that Bethany Deaton may have actually committed suicide. Moore's initial confession was made not to a detective, but to leaders of IHOP that was then filtered to the authorities. Micah Moore 
said something to statements that were kind of false or contradicted evidence. For example, Moore provided a single detail from the alleged crime scene, and that detail wasn't accurate. Bethany Deaton's body was found in a van in a county park. Moore claimed that he had drugged Bethany with Seroquel, but no Seroquel was found in her system. Moore claimed that he and his roommates sexually assaulted Bethany, but the medical examiner found no evidence of sexual assault, and there's no evidence of it on Moore's iPad or like any recordings like he had claimed. Detectives interviewed Moore's roommates and found no reason to suspect them. A counselor Bethany was seeing observed nothing to indicate that she'd been sexually assaulted, and Bethany's journal and emails suggest that she was a virgin when she died. No one was ever charged with this case. It is all alleged. And now, essentially, five years later, it remains a suicide, and nobody within this group was implicated within it. Very sad. I mean, anyone who's listening and, you know, hearing this as you're telling it can see it other than being a sex cult if you Mm -hmm. boil it down and for what we know. And you combine this person who's like, I'll literally do anything not to be homosexual. I mean, it seems like one person's interest in just not being homosexual and all the people that are involved in the things that you use and maybe that interest, that general interest in Harry Potter or good Mm -hmm. versus evil where, you know, you watch these movies and what makes them so compelling or even something like star Wars. It's so powerful that you feel like how, how could I have this feeling in my world? Mm -hmm. And I think with things like religion or or mysticism or whatever you want to call it, you can have that. You can Mm -hmm. have these imaginary battles and you can have these prophecies, which just sounded like, if I want something, I just call it a prophecy. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me, you know, we spent a lot of time with the Nexium yes. cult. And, and I feel like there was a lot of that grooming. And, you know, that's no, you know, religion has no, is no stranger to grooming. Not, not mm-hmm. that it's exclusive to that by any means, but it's nothing new. And it just, it, you know, if you find like-minded people that feel a sense of togetherness and like, oh, I have a place that I belong. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a, you know, even if it's a place that's like, doesn't seem right, well, at least I belong and that's better than not being, not belonging, which is tough. You know, when you're, I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know what they're with the, you know, these, these kids' lives were like, you know, with their, with their, I mean, maybe their parents were totally cool or maybe they weren't cool and and they're Mm -hmm. confused and, and, you know, you know, oh, it's it's religion. Well, that's great. Then go, go forth and and, and such. But it really sounds like one dude's way of being like, I do not want to deal with my homosexuality, mm-hmm. but I do want to embrace it. So here's what I'm going to do to make sense of it. Yeah. Like, here's my issue. Now it's everyone's issue because I'm your leader. And I mean, again, I'm sure, you know, it's like you're a young college student, really spiritual and religious. And this person is confident and they have this answer for you and it's fun and it's community. And even like, again, my boyfriend speaking about this, he's like, he's not religious now, but the overwhelming sense of community around it. And it's like, what do you do without this community? Who are you without this system around you making you quote unquote, a better person or defining who you are? And that's, you know, certainly the case in this, it's just a really tragic end to this group that, you know, clearly was toxic and took even like the best parts of religion and, and turned it on itself. I wonder if they look back at this and it's a learning experience or do they 
still feel like, oh, we were a part of something really great. We're just, you know, it just happened to get split up because of circumstances. It's hard to kind of tell. God, that would be, I mean, if they, it's like someone died, you know, like it can't be like whatever goodness came out of it. Like this person, whether they killed themselves or were killed, this group did this to this person directly or indirectly. And I can't imagine them looking back and feeling good about that. I mean, I hope that, you know, at this point they're in their, you know, mid to late twenties, I would think. And, and geez, hopefully, you know, something will develop and we'll get a little bit more closure on it. I just hope they can walk into a Panda Express and just sit where they want to without feeling that it's dangerous or mm-hmm. it's, it's a good side or there's no, there's no bad side to Panda Express is what I'm saying. Amen. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.